Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Alicia Bagnano is a musician from Rosemount, Minnesota, who earned a degree from Middle Tennessee State University in audio recording before getting an internship at Steve Albini's Electrical Audio Studios in Chicago. She's the founder of the band Bully, in which she plays guitar and sings for. She started recording demos of her own material before locating to Nashville, Tennessee, where she worked as an engineer at Battle Tapes Recording in the Stone Fox venue. Bully has released the following albums, Feels Like in 2015, Losing in 2017, and the just-released Sugar Egg on Sub Pop Records. You're hearing a song from that record behind me right now. I spoke to Alicia about her early days in Nashville, her interest in audio recording, COVID's effect on playing music live and writing, documentary love, writing songs, and much more. Here's our conversation. Are you uh, an outdoorsy person? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like in particular over COVID time, just because things have been so grim, it's like pretty essential to get out there or at least over the weekends and like go on a hike or go see some. There's like a park two hours away that has these massive trolls that I'm going to see this weekend and just whatever weird shit that I can do without yeah. catching. I'm seeing Chihuly is has is set up at Cheekwood, so I have tickets to do to like go walk through the Chihuly stuff on Sunday. Just nice. Stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, but a little bit of getting out does mm-hmm. like wonders for you, I think. Totally, yeah. But Nashville is a town that it took me a long time to get to Nashville, but I love that place. Yeah. It's so nice. I've been here for a long time. Are you over I'm, it? I'm, yeah, I'm a little over it. But yeah. that's just because like it's kind of a mini LA now. It's just right. so many people are moving here. The rent has gone up so much. And I am here because it's a very practical place to be for musicians. I can have a fenced in yard for my dogs and like practice at my house and keep the van and the trailer here. But it's becoming more difficult for people to live here because I, I don't know why everyone's moving here, like from mainly LA. But, um, Yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I'm just, I don't drink anymore and stuff, and I just don't need to be around any sort of party scene. And so if that's kind of what my side of town is turning into, it just just loses the appeal to me a little bit. I'm just kind of over that part of my life. Are you thinking maybe at some point of moving? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot, but also I've been thinking about moving for like five years, so it doesn't mean that much. Easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um... But I thought about Chicago for a while. Um, and then I had this one moment where we were driving home from tour and we had just played Chicago and it was like the middle of winter and we got home at like two in the morning and got back to Nashville and it was like 
45 degrees. We could unload the van. And I was just like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I can do cold weather again. Yeah. That's Chicago weather, man. It's yeah. brutal. It's horrible. <laughs> and I grew up in Minnesota and I was just like, oh yeah. And now every time I'm around it again, I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that in my life. So it's funny how you can acclimate to nicer weather pretty quickly. You know, so I'm quickly. from Pittsburgh, which is like, you know, gray as gray yeah. as gray gets, you know? Yeah. And um, after not being there for a long time, I have i don't like gray anymore. Like, I no. like a little bit of sunlight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so quickly, though. It's, like, crazy. Like, when I moved here to go to school, it was just, like, within half a year. I was just, anytime it was cold, I was freezing, which in Minnesota it would be, like, if it was cold here, people would still be wearing tank tops. Right. And yeah. flip-flops yeah, in Rosemont, Minnesota. Yeah. It's so cold. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see the allure of Nashville, though, because I didn't go until I had a show at the Frist Museum, uh-huh. and that was the first... Re- I never would have went, I think, if I didn't... Not that I didn't like the town, or, you know, the town didn't seem alluring or whatever, but I went for that, and it was just such a great experience, and I knew it was, like, Music City or whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, I got off the plane, and there were, like, Gretsch guitars in the airport behind yeah. glass, and I was like, okay, this, I can get into this. Yeah. And it felt yeah, no. like, you know, being in Brooklyn, which is definitely, like, you know, hipster, you know, like, that mm-hmm. deal, it felt like... It had the vibe of that kind of, but like there was good food and there was a lot of music, but Mm -hmm. it still didn't feel quite as gentrified and crazy. Although I'm sure it's getting to that point. Yeah. Within, when was your show? That's, oh God, I'm so bad at dates. Uh, I want to say 2000, oh geez, 2012 maybe. I should so know that. Oh yeah. You wouldn't even recognize it. It's totally different. Oh, totally different. Like stuff has I mean straight up rent has doubled than what it was then but I mean it's I mean it's not bad like traffic isn't that bad it's and it's still got a lot going on so yeah it's just one of those places where you wouldn't really think to go and then you're there and you're like oh there's some cool pockets here yeah well I mean I stayed at that train station hotel which was really cool yeah I don't know what it's called it's right next to the museum is that in Chattanooga no like right in Nashville Oh, it's like I, a train station that they converted into a hotel next to the Frist. And um, so, so you're right there. Is that Broadway, that main or Main yeah. Street? Uh-huh. Whatever that road is. It was close to all the honky tonk places and stuff, which mm-hmm. is really cool. And I walked down there and there was this guitar shop that had like a wall of amazing vintage guitars. And I was like, this is my kind of city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got some perks. Yeah. And uh, I didn't make it to the uh, the place that you're supposed to go to. What's the venue, the music venue that's like amazing? Oh, the Bluebird? Not Is that, that one. The one that's... Um, the Ryman? What's it called? The Ryman, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, or the Grand Old Opry. I'm trying to think of like... Yeah, I heard all the stories, but I didn't get to go. I mean, I went to a couple honky-tonk places, but not like the venue venues. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like, I mean, it's such a great place to to do music you know yeah yeah it is it is but you went there for school primarily that's what drew you there i went to school at mtsu which is like 40 minutes outside of the city yeah and then um went to chicago for an internship and when i came back i had a semester to finish but i was starting to run sound at a venue in nashville so i just moved to nashville proper and then uh 
you know, drove up for school for that last semester. But yeah, I did not intend on being in Nashville. I just, I went for that program and then Steph kind of started going right after school. So I just ended up staying here and it yeah. is cool. It It's funny. It's like, I have a lot of friends that are leaving and, uh, I, I feel like a little bit like I'm missing out or I should be moving too, but it's a funny feeling when you're like, oh, I'm ready to go too. And then you're like, well, I don't really want to go anywhere. <laughs> like I, no, no place sounds perfect. You mm -hmm. know, like there's not like that one city that I'm like, oh, this is, this is like where I want to go. So, and I always try and look at places as like, okay, these aren't mine. Like cities aren't mine. I can still go and enjoy them and make it a point to spend time there. And I don't have to like live in it, you know, yeah. just because I love it. I don't know. I, well, I think everyone's getting that feeling now of like moving because so many people in New York are leaving because yeah. you pay an arm and a leg to be here. And then if you can't go see music, if you can't go eat at nice restaurants and you can't yeah. go to museums, um, you know, what, what's the perk of all that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What are you paying for? Basically? Totally, I think LA yeah. too, from what I've heard. And I was just like watching TV last night and seeing these wildfires and like, it's like 120 degrees or something. Like, yeah. No wonder people are like getting out of there, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I feel like there's a lot of unrest, right? And also because people are doing so much virtual stuff that it makes you really feel like, well, where do I need to be? Right. I you think know? that's it. It's like, since they're working from home, they're like, well, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. do I have a reason to be in this town? I know so many people who've oddly, like, moved back to where they came from during yeah. quarantine. And, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, like, unemployment, you know, and just... Right. But it's 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 very wild to have watched. I wouldn't have expected that out of this, for sure. And that's been a very common uh, trend. It would be interesting to see, like, a heat map of where people moved after this, you know? It actually... That would be awesome. I was Especially considering see that. voting and stuff. Like, yeah. what, what happens when all these city people go inf infiltrate the, you know, yeah. the, the, the more upstate or, like, rural areas, which a lot of people are doing? Yeah. It's going to yeah. be a little, a little weird. That would be really interesting to see who's moving out of what cities. I mean, I would just, I, I could assume that New York, California... Yeah. Chicago. Anywhere East Coast probably where it's been where it's like pretty condensed, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So you went to school for music, but I mean, was that something as a kid that you were always doing? Was that the plan growing up? Um, and did it come from like mom and dad? Like was was music a big thing in the house or something? No, it was so far from that. I just wasn't like the best student and knew I wanted to get into music, but wasn't really sure. It just seemed like such a reach for me. And uh, pretty much the public school I went to was next to a zoo school down the street, which was a school that was literally on the zoo, like in the zoo. <laughs> it was an art school. It was really cool. And like the students had chores there to help maintain the zoo. But anyway, um, you could take electives over there your junior and senior year. And they had an audio engineering class, but it was super rudimentary, like the most basic things ever. Like, oh, here's a thing called logic that exists and right. Pro Tools and GarageBand. And um, my teacher of that class found MTSU because you can get a bachelor's of science in audio engineering and you can like get in with any GPA and it's not very expensive. Um, and I wasn't really going to go to 
I had applied to like maybe two schools and didn't get in and it just like wasn't looking like I was going to go to school after high school. So him finding that and then me ending up here was great, but it had nothing to do. My family is so not musical at all. (laughs) I just always wanted to be involved and that seemed like my only way of getting in. Was it, but, but your sort of aspirations or interests in music, was it kind of just in playing a guitar in your room or was it more of like watching bands and watching other artists and being like, oh, that's something I could do? It was more so just like listening to music on the radio, honestly. I mean, where I went to school, there was one band that I knew in our whole high school of like a million kids. And it was when I was a freshman and it was like four guys who were seniors. Um, It was not, you know, in Nashville, you're surrounded by 15 year olds who grow up going to house shows. That's like their activity. And it's just like, no. And like their dad owns whatever studio. And it's just like a way of life. But in Rosemont, Minnesota, it's very not a way of life. So it was really just like listening to the radio and loving music. And I always had this weird relationship with it because I could never, I mean, I can't really sing. Like I, I can sing, but not really. I can scream and I can like write a good song. Um, but as far as like conventionally good vocals go, you know, like I don't have a voice that you would really hear on the radio. And so I would like write melodies. And then I had this friend named Nicole who was a really good singer and I would like give them to her to sing and kind of direct them. And so I think a lot of that was like trying to figure out how I could still learn how to write music and be a part of it. But I wasn't And I knew that I wanted to sing, but I just wasn't, I was very aware of like where I stood on the singing spectrum. So, yeah, I feel like I had the same thing with like art making where, you know, there were the kids in school who were just great. Like they could draw, you know, the Megadeth album cover and make it exactly like it looked. Yeah. And then there was me. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like making little abstract line paintings or something, you know. But but I I was into it. Yeah. But I had a teacher who showed me a, and this is in high school, who showed me a video of that famous uh, name of video of uh, Jackson Pollock painting on the glass, and mm-hmm. I was just like, what the like? It just blew my mind, you know. So I think like if you get that one person or that one experience that says like you can do something different that's not like the technically proficient thing, you know. Yeah. So much of it is just like having drive too. I mean, if you're driven and you're passionate about something, you can do anything. And I totally believe that. Yeah. I think that's so important, especially as a teacher. Like I tell students or even like coaching kids in soccer or whatever, I'll take the player who works their butt off, who doesn't have the gift mm-hmm. over someone who can just not even try and just like effortlessly yes. do it. I do that with uh, who I play with, like who I'll pick to play with. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this person is a good person. They love what they're doing. They're who I want to be around over like some asshole who's like picks up a guitar and like can shred anything. I'm like, that's not. But I think if you like come from that position of kind of the underdog who knows what it feels like to really have to work your way up, you have a serious appreciation for that. Yeah, um, totally. You you respect those people because they had to... Well, and the same thing, too, is like the kid who grows up whose dad had a music studio in the basement. Yeah. You know, they had everything kind of set up for them, whereas if you're the kid from the middle of nowhere and you got to scratch your way to get to it... I mean, I guess that's kind of like a... 
you know, an all encompassing statement, but I feel like the harder you have to work for it, the more you're going to appreciate it and, and the more drive you have to have to, to make opportunities happen for yourself. For sure. And then there's going to be some sort of like longevity to it. Cause I know there's a handful of Nashville bands who, um, like, I'm not trying to call anybody out. No, whatever. It doesn't matter. But like, <laughs> you'll see people here who will get a record deal and then just kind of party. And then, yeah. you know, five years down the road, it's not happening anymore. And my boyfriend always says this to me. He's just like, I just like, can't believe that you work like nine to six every day. Like, it's like an actual job. And I'm like, well, if you treat it like a job, which it will then become to be, which it is for me. But like, that's how you keep going. Like you can't just make a record or like a good piece of art and then fuck off, you know, it's like, and, and that drive and that passion is like what makes you want to keep going. So it's just, yeah, that was always so frustrating to me in school. It's like trying very hard, still getting C's and then having a kid next to me who like didn't even study and getting A's. I was like, this is not, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you have to find that thing, whether you're good at it, like how naturally good at it you are, you have to find a thing that you really driven by and then you'll be willing to work your butt off on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, totally. and people think like with things it's frustrating, but when it comes to creative things like art and music and stuff like that, that, oh, it's just something that, that you're born with or you're talented. So you don't yeah. necessarily have to work really hard at it, which is BS. Cause I mean, look at like John Coltrane, he was amazing and he practiced every day, all day, you know, even yeah. if you're naturally good at it, you have yeah. to just keep working and working and working. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to hear that though. <laughs> no, but it's, it's so true. Like if anything in the arts too, it's like, you just have to love it or you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, why? Like, if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer you and you don't love it, at least you're getting paid really well. Like yeah. if you were going to be an artist or a musician and you don't love yeah. it, what the hell? what's yeah. the perk? You're screwed. Cause I really like being are... in a van sweating yeah. and like yeah. being stinky for like a month straight. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Staying in different hotel rooms, staying in different like 2.5 star hotel rooms every night. Lucky you. Hey, the band I was in when we toured, we stayed in like on couches like the yeah. enti- we would do the thing where you show up at the gig and then you you wait until the afterwards to talk to the people who like the show and and be like oh do you have a couch we could stay yeah you know, that yeah. Sort of yeah it's like a slow build you like start hitting up all your friends when you go on the road and then you're like damn it well we were just here and then it's like i guess we'll get a super eight and you'd stay there <laughs> and then eventually you build up to the 2.5 stars right right <laughs> the luxury the luxury yeah <laughs> can you imagine the tour bus like the gigantic tour bus of the planes and all that stuff no the tour bus is a dream but only because then i could bring my dog but and I, sleep, you could sleep on the thing you know it's the comfort of that would be nice I just feel like I would be, I mean, I'm sure I would get used to it, but I feel like I would be really anxious, like knowing someone is up and driving overnight. That's true. I feel like I'd be like hovering over the back, just making sure everyone was safe, but (laughs) I would need to let that go. Yes. Sleeping and waking up in a city is very ideal. Yeah. Can imagine, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm such a control freak when it comes to being on the road that I love to drive. Like I never want anyone else to drive. Yeah. And when we would go on tour, it would, I would, I remember just being so tired, but I didn't want to give up the driver's spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the yeah. time you get to the city you're next, you're like, 
you know, so tired. It's not That's easy. So funny. My ex, my ex boyfriend was that way. He was just like, I'm, he was like the only one who would drive. And it was like, you kind of don't really realize how much it's, you lean on that person in the band until they're gone. And then oh, you're like, yeah. oh, fuck. Now, like, who's going <laughs> to drive? Who's going to do it? Yeah. Like, this is a conversation we actually have to have. Um, right. But, and, and it's exhausting. Driving is tiring, it's not easy. It is tiring. And you really have to trust that person, I, f- I feel like. Totally. You know? Yeah. I remember the 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 tour we went on when uh, the band that I was in expanded to a five piece. Um, we started off the first leg. We were driving overnight to I think to get to Philly or something. And uh, within like a half an hour being on the road, a giant flat tire explosion, and then we veered off the side of the highway. Ugh. And then at that point on, I was like, "All right, I'm driving." <laughs> yeah, for sure. I I always think in my thing, I'm like. If it's a van, because we do the van and the trailer, so everything's in the trailer and everyone can just like get their own bench seat in the van and relax. But if somebody isn't comfortable with the trailer, which is most people, but we usually have a tour manager who does a lot of the driving. But in any situation like that, I'm like, well, if it's going to get fucked up, I should be the one to do it. So, right, right. But, if this plane's going down, I'm flying it. <laughs> yeah. I have some friends who their trailer flipped like in the winter and just Oof. thinking about it was like Stressful. I didn't want to tour yeah. for like six months with the trailer because it's so it's so dangerous I mean it's enough to like be going around a 15 passenger van like in Vancouver in the mountains but then throw a trailer in the mix and it's just like what the hell am I doing yeah there's some there's some times that they sh- tours should just not happen but unfortunately totally you know, it's the way to make money. Speaking of which, no, I mean, when's the last live show you've played? Has it been kind of sparse since the whole pandemic? Yeah. I mean, there's like nothing. I, I don't even know the last time I played is this is the longest I've been without touring for the past six years. Are you writing a lot instead? Well, it was like, it's been so much building up until the release. I feel like I'm just in, getting to the point now where I can start writing but I have a really hard time like writing (laughs) writing and having to balance press stuff like my writing brain and my schedule being on top of things business brain is like two different things and so for me to split up my day like that just isn't it's not super easy for me ideally when I'm writing I'll put my phone away. I wake up with an alarm. I don't even look at the clock. I just like make coffee, walk my dogs, go, and I'm just doing that all day. I don't have like a phone on me or anything. And then I'll walk outside or sit in my backyard if I need a break. And right now, since I'm in the middle of press and all that stuff, it's like having to jump back and forth or to do that with my phone on me would be really hard because I just, I don't feel creative if I'm in a room with my iPhone. Yeah, you got to turn that off. Well, when you're, yeah. nor- let's say, normal situation, no quarantine pandemic and all that, and you have a record that comes out like you did, and are you normally doing all that press while you're on the road playing shows? Yeah. So then yeah. it's kind of consolidated? Yeah, and you just like knock it out, and then I get home, and it's like, oh, I'm home to write. 
yeah. for sure. And it's all the stuff, you know, like radio stuff and radio stations. It's just like you pop in and you play and then you're out. And now it's this huge thing where it's like you got to videotape it and record it and send the files over. And then like the files are wrong or something. And it's just <laughs> such a nightmare. But yeah, normally it's just like, OK, this is what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to be on the road for like the next year and a half and then do all those things together. But yeah, it's, it's such a rhythm, right? And, and then it seems yeah. like it'd be so kind of like loud for like months and then quiet and yeah. then loud, then quiet. I guess it's a good balance in a way, but it seems like yeah. all or nothing, you know? Yeah. It's kind of scary, like just not having touring because that's how, you know, word of mouth, like people are posting pictures, people are talking about shows, people are um, reviewing shows. And without that, it's, I'm a little worried to be like, okay, how long can we keep this buzz going without touring? It's just like constantly social media. Yeah, right. It's, which you is, just have to post it was every already day. too much, anyways, right? And now it's like oh, yeah. everyone's leaning on it, which I yeah. think is not good for the psyche of the entire world in a way. No. And I've spent a lot of time like trying to, I really like to kind of be aware of like how these social media sites are working and what they're doing to your brain so I can try and outsmart it and it still affects me so much so I'm like hate to think that I'm like perpetuating that issue for someone on the other end of the line that's like doing the scrolling also it just terrifies me to think about like if I'm an adult and still are feeling the effects of something that I know better than like what are kids feeling going on the internet like that. It's yeah. That's the boat I'm in right now. You know, I don't, how are you doing that? I don't know. Uh, You can grade me in (laughs) 10 years. I don't know. (laughs) Well, do you have like, do you have rules? Do you have like, to an extent? Yeah. I mean, there's like time limit, but it's, it's difficult too, because, um, you have to, it's, just how I'll draw a really good parallel. I, I think like in the music industry, like if you want to play music and you want to, you want that to sustain you, you realize that that side of promotion and that side of communication is so integrated into pushing what you do now that you have to take part in it. Otherwise you're really, it's yeah. a detriment to your kind of like, you know, communication with people. Yeah. And in the same way with like kids, it's like, it's so much the way that they're communicating now, especially being in quarantine and stuff, uh, yeah, you know? So that, like, yeah. do you want to create like a social void where they just have no contact or fun, right. you know? But at the same time, you realize that like, it's kind of, it's going to be too much pretty quickly. So it's such a catch 22. It's, it's, I think when all this stuff was invented, there was this idealistic view of what it was going to do for us and how it was going to make everything great. Yeah. And like, yeah (laughs) and (laughs) now we're here (laughs) now yeah exactly now we are here you know Um, it's 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 just it's a difficult thing to wrangle you know and to wrap your head around yeah it's just like the unknown i watched last night feel good man have you seen that documentary or heard about it it's the comic book illustrator who created the character pepe who then like got oh, right, right. taken over by like alt-right people. Yeah. And watching that documentary showed some of the 
darkest parts on the internet and like some of the darkest people engaging in those parts and it was like heavy to watch it was just like man I know that this is happening out there but uh being exposed to it like that I was just like Jesus this is just so dark this is so it's crazy, it's, right? And it's the really crazy. the really disturbing part of it is if you kind of don't pay attention to it, you think it's just fringe stuff that's way in a deep dark corner, but then if you read more about it, you start to understand that it's seeping its way into mainstream life yeah. like with politics. politics and with, you know, the way things are happening. So Yeah. It's That's uh, like all about what it was about yeah. and it was very eye-opening. Yeah. Which is I mean, you know, there's not enough stuff to do, and now you've got, <laughs> yeah. got to worry about that issue, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, I guess all I can do is like try and stay in a good headspace and like monitor my intake and try and take note of how it's making me feel. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of artists feel, you know, maybe foolishly that like putting good content into the world or trying to, you know, create things that are sort of positive or that, that make people feel better in a way is, is a way to fight that in a sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You being an artist, do you have any like good documentaries or really inspiring ones that you've seen that are, that you could recommend in COVID times? No, I I can send you a whole list of, of stuff that it's going to require because my brain is full. It's going to require me just going on Netflix and like, and Amazon <laughs> yeah. like looking at my past watch. Things. But, but yeah, there's so, there's so much I cool give you stuff homework, out there, but you know, yeah. you can find like documentaries on, on artists that, you know, were used to be so hard to find. And now it's just like, it's kind of like music with like Spotify and stuff, you know, yeah, you used to have to dig through vinyl you know to find you know this like obscure african band and then you look it up on spotify and it's like yep there it is all the right records. there <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's convenient but different i think yeah well when you were growing up were you uh, you were a big music fan were you like a vinyl person did you have the record shop thing or mm-hmm. like i didn't no i was just like as standard as it gets (laughs) i just i didn't have like i wasn't like yeah i had an older brother like passing me punk mixed mixtapes it was just like no i just liked all i really had to listen to was like the radio i don't think there even is a record shop in rosemont minnesota but um yeah i just liked stuff like Sarah McLaughlin and Jewel and Alanis Morissette as like a seven year old who was listening to the radio. I mean, who wasn't? But I loved that, it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, but this this um, education that you got in audio stuff, I imagine that not only did it connect you with the Nashville community, community, but was it something that like still you probably have a love for audio stuff in general. I do. I have a love for analog recording. I going through that program, it was primarily taught in Pro Tools, which makes sense because tape is expensive and the parts in the gear is really expensive and hard to find. Um, And it was just really frustrating having the answer be like, oh, like if something went wrong, like just restart the computer. It was just so frustrating to me. Right. It was like, I cannot see or like touch what is going on in the screen. I'm just like learning this software. And we had a small, like two week uh, focus on analog gear and just being able to like physically see the machine and press play and pause at the same time and realize that's 
everything Pro Tools is replicating, it's like a tape machine transport and being able to see the levels of each individual track in a different way, like in more of a physical medium, just I really loved. And I didn't even, I mean, the sound, great. But like, that wasn't what it was for me. It was purely just like understanding it a lot better. And it's so, like the functionality, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was really special to me because that was like a time in college where I just felt like I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm not far behind. I'm just like advancing in something that's not as common as Pro Tools. So, I mean, yeah, I, I loved that. And I love engineering and learning about microphones and everything. There's just so much about school in general that is just... I wish was taught differently or that I just didn't pick up on in a normal way. Like the mixing is so subjective. Like there's no right or wrong way to record a record. And so to be taught in a way that there was, or there's like, you know, there's things you can do that are wrong, like unplugging a condenser microphone before you turn off phantom power. Cause that right. could, fuck up the microphone but as far as like where you want to put your snare mic or where you want to put your room mics or like what kind of mic you want to use for it it's like should just totally be experimentation like I feel like you should just be in a room with like one microphone or just like the most basic signal flow and just be like all right here's this someone's gonna play drums move it around wherever you want and like kind of hear how things are sounding instead of being thrown into like here's a full studio and like here's all your different microphones you should use for this and then here's a patch bay and then also send it through a preamp it's like I feel like it should start so much more stripped down because it's so intimidating and I think that scares a lot of people off because of that and so it's just I mean I loved school and I love my professors there's just like a lot when I think back to it that I wish I would have done not even that I wish I would have done differently but that would have been cool if that was like brought to my attention or if it was just like a little bit more of a creative thing right I mean learning the physics of it is kind of important I guess but I don't know it there should be I feel like it it is a very creative thing and like you know engineers and producers that have recognition have that because they've experimented and because there's something that they've tried that's like off the books that seemed to worked really well and um you don't really learn any or like you know you're not um pushed to do anything like that or outside of the box really I wasn't in that program but it's not really anybody's fault um it's just something I think about now it's so funny there's such a parallel with art school where it's like they teach you a lot of fundamentals about things and like a certain kind of thing about art, like educating Mm -hmm. you about, you know, ideas and history and all that stuff. But there's a lot about the business side of it or just the logistics of like how to pack your work or how to, you know, deal with a gallery or any of that stuff. Just nothing. Like they don't really teach you that, you know, or at least back in my day, they didn't. That's interesting. And that stuff is so useful, you know, but it's like when it comes to that idea of recording of like, well, here's the proper way to set up like, you know, a kick mic or something. It's that's, you know, a default. But then you realize when you work with different producers that everyone's got their own sort of method and that's what kind of identifies them. And that's why people learn so much by working with different people because they're so quirky you know what I mean yeah. like it's every recording you could have 
your latest 10 songs and it could sound so different depending on where and who you work with. It's fascinating in a way, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's so much of it is like confidence. It's like the guys and I always just felt really uncomfortable in most of my classes because I was the only woman in a lot of them. And I, it's not fair for me to like look back and be envious or get jealous, but sometimes I'm just like, I could have just had the confidence you had to just kind of be like, and I guess I could have, I, I'm not really sure, but like so much of just being like, oh, well, there's, there's all this complicated shit thrown in my face right now. Fuck it. I'm just going to try this. It's like, I wish that I would have had that confidence because having that is like definitely makes the process of like finding creativity in a mathematical thing so much quicker, I feel like. Totally. But, I think that is one of the biggest hindsight things in life is like having the confidence like I wish I had the confidence Dude, of speaking yeah. <laughs> when I was in school you know or like yeah. the confidence I had as a player when I was a young kid playing soccer as I do as a coach now or playing now when I'm yeah. old and not nearly as fit or what, you know what I mean yeah. but you yeah. learn so much like your experiences teach you so much about things and mm-hmm. it's just like that that old adage of like education is wasted on the youth it's not but it would be great to know a lot of the things like have some of those experiences you know, yeah. and when you're in school and you're younger, you're just like, what? Oh, what? You know, you're just right. like a deer in headlights. Yeah. I really miss that about shows because I don't feel like I, I feel like when I'm playing live, it's like the most confident that I ever am at any yeah. point in my life. And without having that really kind of magnifies uh, my lack of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel confident, but I, I feel confident in what I do, but you know, like in everyday social situations or like relationships, it's like you you see people who are just so confident and thriving and you're like, oh my God, you could be like, you could tell me anything and I would believe you right now just because of how you're projecting it. Like, It's so and, important, right? Like, uh, yeah. I, I feel like humans pick up on, it's some sort of primal thing where it's like, you, they're just like, oh, this person... They, they know what they're talking about. Just the delivery and the, the conviction of it, you know, yeah. it can really go a long way. But it's, yeah. it, I, it's some people just have it and some, some people, people get better at it, it over time. I think that, you know, yeah, it is like it's kind of an art form. But I, I think like listening to the newest record, like it doesn't sound non-confident. That's for sure. There's yeah, a lot of no. conviction in your delivery, so to speak. I feel confident when I'm playing and when I'm writing it's just really in everything else in my life (laughs) that's why I want to go back on tour but it's just an interesting thing to think about I mean I think a lot of it is like you said some people just have it and I think like also some of it is privilege but there's like quite a few people that I know that I that have just had it since I've known them that can just walk into a room and be like they can just bullshit their way backstage to any show because they just look like they know where they're going (laughs) and they're not going to question them whereas I would be like "Eh, I don't know I should just leave I should just leave the whole show in general not even just backstage but (laughs) I still am like that like I if even if third man had like this uh secret Billie Eilish show mm-hmm. and they just like sent out an invitation to like I don't know a hundred people in Nashville or something and they asked if I wanted to go and I was like sure and the whole time I was there I was just like well 
honestly, I didn't even really know who Billie Eilish was before I went. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's really good. <laughs> but after I like brought my boyfriend with me, he's like, do you want to go backstage? Because we had passes. And I was like, fuck no, I want to leave. <laughs> like, I do not belong back there. Like, I am not about to just like go hang out back there, which is weird. Because like, I wouldn't care if someone did that to my show. But I just like... I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it. It's like I was talking to this with my mom and my brother the other day because he was talking about his fake IDs and how they've like gotten taken away that he had when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, you didn't have me. I was like, well, we didn't really get fake IDs. What we would do is like borrow them from somebody older when we were in high school. But I was saying even in college, like I may have had one at some point, but I was too afraid to use it because just the thought of me walking into a bar and somebody being like, this is fake was so embarrassing to me that I was like, I don't even want to like experience that. Some would say that's good parenting though. Your parents like instilled within you that like, you know, not to try to pull it over on people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just so embarrassed. I also didn't like need to go to a bar to drink, so it was kind of yeah. like. <laughs> well, the backstage thing though that is a frustrating phenomenon because I feel like so much of creating opportunities and kind of it's like a necessary evil in a way, but like making connections and speaking to people and getting yeah. yourself out there is so important. And at first it seems frustrating, especially from the outside, because you're like, oh, well, it's like clicky or it's like who you know. But then you also realize if people get to know you and they have an experience with you and they like your music or they associate your music with you, then Mm -hmm. they might think of you when they need an opening act or they might think of you as a headliner for a bill or whatever it is, you know, or like a a track on a compilation or something. So sometimes just being in people's you know, cognitive headspace can just be advantageous. It's not necessarily like nepotism. It's just like, oh, I know her. She, her song would be great for this, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, or even just like saying thank you for the invite. Right. I just, yeah. I'm just like so hyper aware of never trying to look like I'm trying to take anybody's for, or take anybody's like fame for advantage or something I mean I know that I'm not trying to do that but in those situations I'm like I just want to be clear I just wanted to enjoy the show but no you're right I mean making connections is like I guess how you stay on people's radars well the frustrating part is people like you who aren't trying to like you know ride coattails won't go to the thing because you feel like oh I don't want to seem like I'm doing it but the people who do go to it are the tools who are <laughs> yeah, like yeah that's just all like, the ones hey, in the backstage <laughs> yeah yeah can I get a picture also are you guys getting a pizza or what's going oh, on jeez like, are you <laughs> that's why and then you end up feeling bad for people like Jack White or people like that who are probably bombarded with those people all the yeah. time yeah like so what you doing later Green room (laughs) etiquette is like a very particular thing. We used to have to have, because like 10 minutes before you go on stage, nobody should be in your green room. I'm just going to say this for anyone who's listening. Do not talk to a band member like 10 minutes before (laughs) they play. It's very stressful. They know they're about to go on. They're trying to probably like make sure their shit is together. We just used to have this thing where our tour manager would have to be like some. People would just like hang out there until like the minute you were supposed to walk on stage and you're like, they would have to kind of just, it was so awkward, but be like, okay, everyone like out for like five minutes and it feels so dumb and you feel like you're being so dramatic for requesting that. But 
I cannot just go from like a casual conversation to jumping on stage. I like have to be in a pretty particular headspace or yeah. at least feel like I'm prepared. And that is I totally forgot about that whole kind of like stressful side of things where you're just like, um, it's so good you're here. Thanks for coming. Could you get the fuck out? Like, I gotta go. Normal people would like put it together and figure it out. Oh, maybe you need a minute before you go out there. But some people are just so oblivious. They're just like, don't No, Yeah. They just have no idea. Can not to keep drawing art and uh, music parallels, but it's like when you're at, when you have an opening, and then that person who comes up and really likes your work or whatever, and they t- end up talking to you and they won't stop talking to you. And clearly the opening's two hours and there's a lot of people who are there to see you. Yeah. yeah. And you want to be able to say hi to a bunch of people, but they just yeah. keep going and yeah. going. And like where like there's no consciousness of like yeah, <laughs> the that, situation. Like, I'm here, people are here for my show. I need to go talk to other people. Right. Yeah. And then you feel bad because you're like, oh, obviously they're into what you're doing. So you don't want to be a jerk about it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, easy. (laughs) It's good to be aware of social cues. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So with the new record, like, how's it going, like, in this environment? Like, are you getting a a different kind of response? Are you having to lean on the Internet as far as that stuff is concerned? Um, I have, like, a pretty strict internet schedule from my management (laughs) just about like that I have to keep posting but they all know that I do not am not really a social media fan so I don't even get on Twitter or Facebook unless I feel like saying something randomly on Twitter which happens like once every three months but I pretty much just they tell me what they're going to post and then I give them text for everything so no one's like speaking for me because that drives me crazy Um, and then they'll go ahead and post it Instagram I get on and I'll like do stories and stuff but everything that is you know has to be posted at a certain time or promoted i'll just give them text for and and they do it but um it seems well it's being played more on like college radio and other alternative radio stations more than any of the last ones but that's another thing that's odd is because my way of gauging how a record is doing or how i'm just doing in general in my career is ticket sales so we don't have how do you feel the room when there's no room yeah, you're just like, I don't, because usually it's like, oh, we're moving up in venues or like this show sold out, this show sold out. And you're like, wow, this record must be doing really well. Yeah. And that's totally gone. And so it's just really hard to gauge like what is going on. But I mean, I don't know. The reviews are good. So sounds good. I mean, yeah. it's it's for me. Um, not to sound old, but it's like there's definitely a lot of like touch points of like sonically like little things that Mm -hmm. take me to another place and i don't know like how much of that is intentional or not but i'm sure i know does that that doesn't bug you does it i love those little things there was one favorite things to do i forget what song it was in there was just like a little riff that made me think of pavement and then there was another like burst of a power chord that made me think of super chunk and then there was like (laughs) some singing element that or something that reminded me of uh, Lush. Do you remember that band? I don't know. They were like a shoegazer to, like it was uh, two women who were the singer guitarists and it's it just an amazing band. Mm-hmm. But, um, band. you know, like little touches of this and that that kind of like perked up here and there. And re- I don't know if you know the band That Dog. Do you remember that? Yeah, I love that. Oh, uh, there was something that brought out in my mind that made me think of that totally crushed out album cover. And I just <laughs> love 
when, you know, stuff that feels now, but still can take you back in time to like another feeling, you know, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love just like taking an instrument and not playing it like you're supposed to, or just like playing it for, to hear a sound and not exactly the sound that is intended. And also vocal melody stuff is just so much fun for me just to like sit around and try out a million different things and then take out most of them and leave in a few things here and there it's just fun to mess with it's fun to use it as an instrument instead of just like this is my one vocal melody well that is one of the advantages of digital stuff is that you could just collage forever although Mm -hmm. i guess that could be a pitfall too where you just get lost in a you know rabbit hole of like recording but yeah you can just layer things i'm sure that's a lot of fun Yes. I mean, for demo purposes, it's like digitally is the way to go because same with like lead guitar parts and stuff. I can just have like eight different ones that I'll try throughout a few weeks and keep them all and then come back a week later and like unmute one at a time and see which one does the most for me and keep it. And that's just stuff that I can't really mess around with. I mean, I could do analogly, but it would be such a pain in the ass, but. Or like, you know, if I wasn't alone, it wouldn't really be able to pan out that way. Yeah. Have you, um, when you record, like if you're coming up with the idea for the song, so are you just recording parts on your own and then you bring it in to do it? Or like, what's the recording process like? I will write like a guitar part and then my vocal melody and then have Wes come over and we'll just like work out a drum part for however long it takes and try a million different things track his drums and then do like lead guitar any auxiliary my vocals the melody and that's how I have a demo and then for most of the songs on the record I met up with Zach um like two days before he came to the studio earlier and for the songs that I didn't write on bass and just wrote with guitar um him and I just sat down for like two days and went over all his parts and then we all went and recorded. Um, and then for like where to start and hours and hours on let you, I started those on bass. So then it was like, did the bass line, I would have Wes come over, figure out the drum part, check drums and bass. And I did like guitars over it, auxiliary stuff and vocals. Nice. So yeah. you're not like taking in demos to like a, a studio and then someone's just producing everything. No, Mm-mm. no. I but I I like get the demos figured out to the t- as close as they can be before I go in, just because the thought of figuring stuff out in the studio is very anxiety inducing. But it's also inevitable. Like there's going to be a few things you're going to rearrange, but um, for the most part, it's like me going in there and I play it with Wes and then Zach, if I'm playing with him for the song and it's nice. And then I just, then I'll, they'll like leave like for that first session we did, they I'll be there. They'll do their stuff and then fly back and then I'll be there for like another 10 days and do the rest of the guitar stuff and vocals and right it's funny because you know in doing a little bit of reading and 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 hearing what people were asking you they a lot of people bring up the electrical thing and i think <laughs> yeah. it sounds like it's kind of like that so you were at steve albini's studio and then they the only thing they think of i think is 
like Nirvana or so, or like, you know, the, the yeah. couple of people that he recorded that they know. And like, so what was that like? But like, if you've been to electrical, like it is, it is actually like, if you care, it's a really like educational experience because you can totally. So the band I was in, we recorded our second record with Bob Weston in electrical and Whoa. learned so much from that process. And yeah. like, and just like Steve's microphone thing, you know, the whole bit, like yeah. the, yeah. The process of it, it's just such a great place and such an educational experience. I mean, I almost learned as much about coffee at that point in my life than I did about like <laughs> the recording. fluffy coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I Were imagine guys... that shaped some of, you know, or it had a big impact. It had a huge impact and kind of just like also the way I viewed like engineers versus producers. It's yeah. just... There's so many gray lines. It's so confusing to me. I don't. Because to me, a producer, well, I don't know. It's just, it, it's weird because, like, the range of a producer can be, like, someone sitting down and, like, writing with you or, like, suggesting, like, different ways for the song to go or, like, reforming the song. But then it can also be somebody who's just, like, engineering the record and then maybe you'll be like is this lyric stupid and i'll be like <laughs> no or yes and but it's still it's the same title for all of it and yeah. so i don't know it's still like it's weird to me this day but i really liked how steve's thing was like i'm an engineer like i'm not gonna tell you how to make your record like unless maybe that's like what someone wanted him to produce or something but I think it's important to have that sort of clarity because I don't know I mean also the thought of like a producer is strange to me because writing music is such a personal experience so just to like I mean I again it like depends on the extent of what you're looking for them to do but to have someone just kind of pop in and be like why don't you change this and this or like write this lyric instead of this it's like seems so bizarre to me because it's just I wouldn't even want to do that for somebody else because I'm like this is like your baby like this is your brain like who am I to come and tell you what to do I say that but then like I would probably because I've just learned how much I really like like throughout the past three records how much of like the fun things I really like are kind of like in the details and stuff. And I think if somebody really wanted me to do that and thought I was the right fit and vice versa, and I felt like we were totally comfortable with each other, that'd be cool. But I've been in like situations sitting in the studio watching bands and producers work together. And so much of the time it's just so much confusion yeah <laughs> like, totally i think it depends kind of on tension. the artist too like there's some people just go in so much more willing to be shaped by you know a producer and it's way more collaborative in that sense to yeah you know like they just don't have as much authorship and they're willing they really respect like a lot of times it happens with more pop stuff you know like i really respect that producer sound just why don't you just make something that's kind of that I yeah. can sort of collaborate with and collage into. But I mean, yeah. you're like a songwriter, you're writing those songs and then for someone to come in with a heavy hand, it's just going to be, you know, not probably conducive. Cause you know, yeah. it's, it's too much, there's too much you in there. 
there's a lot of people I think who don't bring as much you into the songs. Yeah, and I think it's like having that conversation before and that clarity is just so, so important. Totally, yeah, because that's your... If you think about it, it's like, what, a couple years of your life, if not more, of like it, writing. Literally, and yeah. Create, like if someone came into my studio while I was working for a show over the course of the year, it towards the end and said, okay, now you're going to add pink to this one. Yeah. This one you're going to make bigger. <laughs> We're going to add applause behind this painting. You know, it'd be so weird. Yeah, you'd be like, fuck off. Yeah, there's the door, right? <laughs> the audacity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's 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 I guess there's something admirable about, you know, that collaborative process, but it can be yeah. it can really like you were saying, it can like muddy the soup really quickly. Yeah. Um but it was really cool to like kind of see that at electrical or that that was like a point. Yeah. to be made. Because I mean, again, too, it's like, I don't think that conversation is had enough beforehand. And it is like this awkward line while you're already in the studio of like people suggesting something and you don't want suggestions. And then it's like, that's the last place that there should be tension or discomfort. And that's like where there's usually always tension and discomfort. Yeah. Well, a lot of that, too, is money, right? Because there's money involved in the process. And anytime you throw money into something... Yeah. Tension and discomfort follows. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky. I, I'm saying this, but I didn't have that experience. But I had a really good experience recording the record. But I did like that about electrical and really just like all the mic information, like placement and preamps and like the tape machines and really just the engineers wanting to like educate you if, if that's what you were looking for yeah. was huge because you could have walked into a studio and the engineer could have just been like fuck off i'm not gonna go over this mic placement with you or like you can't take notes of what i'm doing or whatever i'm not getting paid to teach you how i do my job sort of yeah yeah so being in a space where people you know want to like pass along that knowledge is really 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 cool i think it stemmed in a real general love of the medium you know and Mm -hmm. love of the process because if you don't love it if it's just for money you're not telling anyone you know those guys really are into it which you can kind of feel and just the way they're like this is the right this is the studio this is what i need to make to like pay the bills you know just like all this fucking industry bullshit i feel like they cut out of their studio yeah um I mean, that's the way that it seems. It's just a lot more like, okay, well, well I'm going to pay my employees whether or not there's a band coming in today. We'll find something for them to do. You know, it's not like, well, how much money do you have? Okay, then this will be my rate, which I get it. I get that it has to be that way for music stuff because budgets are just so inconsistent. Lots of times there's people you want to work with that you know won't have the budget that you're looking for. So there's exceptions to be made, but I think that works um, in the opposite way, like just as much where it's just like, I'll have people like, will help me with like, uh, like click a picture and then they're like emailing, you know, sub pop for X amount of money. Like, do you think I have money? Like <laughs> the, the invoice you, for that photo. Yeah. yeah like what do you, you the, I don't, this just like blows my mind. It's like, I think people just see any sort of label and they're like, see money signs. And you're like, no, I'm making 
I am using this whole advance for the record. <laughs> and you know what? I would take out of my savings too because it means that much to me. Like yeah. I'm not signing this contract and like seeing how much I can keep and put in my pocket. Like even like when, you know, when you're hiring people and stuff and it's just, I mean, I work with for the most part, knock on wood, like really great people, but it's not uncommon that someone will come in and be like, oh, my rate's like $1,000 a day. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll see you later because <laughs> that's just like not the way that the music industry just did. I mean, it does somewhere, but in my world doesn't have money like that anymore. Yeah, I think a lot of people still frustratingly have that misconception that like, oh, if you're recording, like if you play on TV or if you have a tour, or if you have a record label, you're just bringing in all this money. And I think it's, I, I would hope that the general understanding these days is that musicians kind of get screwed when it comes to everything because like now with online streaming, it's like, there's not that much there, right. and, you know, it's yeah. only tour and merch really. And there's still so yeah. much overhead that like, it's how like, do you, you want me music to pay is you so all this money. Important. Think about it. Everyone listens to music unless yeah. you don't have a soul. <laughs> just, yeah. kidding. just kidding. Seriously. For those of you. <laughs> just kidding. For everyone you, listens to music. It's so important in everyone's music. life, but no one wants to pay for it or support musicians, you know? Which is crazy because you're like, for you, you want to be involved in this so that I can pay you, but you would never pay for a record. Like, right. I think that is like what is so important during COVID for people to understand is that most indie musicians make a living touring. Like yeah. that's where the bulk of the income is because record sales just aren't happening anymore. So it's so important that people are, you know, buying records or for just sure. any or downloads, whatever. Okay. But yeah, I mean, streaming services is just and that's done. <laughs> it's well, yeah. like crazy reading old books about rock bands in the 90s getting million dollar contracts. Right. It, it, it's just unfathomable. Yeah. Well, the the genie's out of the bottle on that one. Just like social yeah. media, just like yeah. <laughs> all technology. Yeah. yeah. Not not to sound too negative, but um <laughs> um okay, last question. When it comes to the artwork for what you're doing, whether it's merch or your record covers or what like what's the inspiration? What are you looking for? Is it how do you what's your relationship to the visual side of what you do? Um I have been a huge fan of graphic novels and a lot of indie cartoonists. So in the past I would usually just hire someone whose work that I like to do it because I am not an artist at all. For Sugar Egg, it was such a personal like baby of mine that well, I tried to um use a photographer's I can't even think of her name right now, which is awful, but she has this really cool like photography series of her daughter with a bunch of different animals and there was this picture that I really loved that I wanted to use and it fell through and then COVID started happening and I was like, I'm just going to try and shoot this myself because I'm sure it won't work, but I just want to try it because it 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 just seems like a good way to tie it all together. Um, and so I got a Yashica T4 because I like the way they look. And then I've tried all these like things that conceptually made sense and tied the record together. And I was like, these are all fucking stupid. And then <laughs> there was like one accidental shot that I loved. And then I spent a week or two kind of trying to replicate that but it was like I would have to shoot it and then wait for the film to get developed and then be like oh that I don't like the color of that water and then do it again but so that one was the first thing that 
I did, but usually it's just trying to find people's work that I like and trying to commission it. Yeah. And um, yeah. the the live show, is it pretty bare bones whenever you were allowed to play live shows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. seems like it's you have a very direct... I mean, nowadays, you know, there's so many um, people who have just such a huge gear set up and it's mm-hmm. so much tech stuff. You keep it pretty raw, right? Yeah. Super simple. Well, Two good on you. That makes your life easier. <laughs> yeah, totally. It makes sense. Yeah. So um, can you share with the listeners who, you know, the best way to get, get your stuff and support you and follow what you're up to? Yes, you can order a vinyl or CD on hellomerch.com if you look for Bully or you could get it through Sub Pop. But you could also just buy it off of like... I don't know, Apple Music or whatever. And if you don't have any money, then you can stream it. Um, and what else am I supposed to say? That you had the the best time of your life this past oh. time. <laughs> and also I had the best time of my thank life. Thank you, thank you. I'll edit that <laughs> so it just ended. <laughs> just kidding. No, thanks for taking the time out. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.